for some time now we've been um, praying about what does a Sunday morning look like, you know, and I really puzzle this, and I walk and I pray about it and think, God, how can we encounter Jesus more on a Sunday morning, you know, and um, as we spoke a few weeks ago, we can become religious even in our contemporary, you know, by having five songs and then the offering or whatever, and then a bit of talk and then a few songs again at the end, and we can get stuck in a pattern, and um, I've been really praying about, God, what can we do to experience you more on a Sunday morning and when we come together um, and worship? Um, and I really get a sense that it should be about building on what we've been doing through the week. Okay, so really, this should be accumulation of celebration of what God's doing throughout the week and how he's been speaking to us, what we've been learning about, what um, God's been saying to us, and building on um, what we're listening to. I know loads of you listen to podcasts and do all sorts of things throughout the week and we have our Wednesday gatherings too and different things that we that we do and people we speak to and encounters that we have which are so exciting. So this morning I want to briefly talk about two areas of our lives that have come up time and time again this week. Okay so met lots of people throughout this week in different places and these two things have been a running theme of my week. So um, I want to share with you a couple of things um, from from those things this week. Um, I want to start by following on from Adam's message last Sunday. Adam spoke to us about us all having a part to play, that we all have some gifts and something, some way in which we can serve within the church for the building of the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, on Vision Sunday, I said to us that too often we've been guilty of disqualifying people from service. You know, we've kind of looked at their past and said, oh, I don't think they're ready yet to serve. Or we look at things and we kind of take them out of the equation. And I'm sorry for that. But as I've listened to this week, people this week, I realized how often we disqualify ourselves from serving Jesus. How often we find reasons ourselves why it isn't possible for us to serve Jesus. And we don't fully understand what it is to have a life of freedom, a freedom in Christ. You know, we sing that song, don't we? The sun sets free, is free indeed. A verse straight from the Bible. The sun sets free, is free indeed. But yet we still find ourselves bound by things that we put around ourselves Often we allow things that we've done in our past to hold us back from living a free future. Romans 8, it's an amazing chapter and um, it's just packed full of promises of hope of the past, for the present and for our future. And today I just want to um, have a little look at a few things that I've been listening to over this week too, um, from podcasts and all sorts of things, um, and just try and pick out some of these things. I just want to begin by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how Romans 8 starts. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a really popular verse that we use at baptisms. Okay, it's like the new beginning. There's no condemnation. But how often do we allow that truth to sink into our lives? How often do we allow that to really go deep into our lives, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? If we are a Christian, if we've put our trust and our faith in Jesus, we are a child of God. We are a child of God. You are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, and if you've asked God to forgive you of your sin, guess what? It's forgiven. It's forgiven. It's gone. 
it's forgiven. And sometimes we find that hard to believe. There is no condemnation. And we need to understand how important this is for us serving um, in a church and building the kingdom of God. There is no condemnation. Our paths are our paths. So we're going to read together Romans 8, starting at verse 1. Um, I'm going to read it from the ESV, so it'll be up on the screen up there. Life in the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot, be ple- cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, that's our passage for this morning. And I want to look at the two things um, from this passage. So if you know Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if there's been that time when you've kind of come to know Jesus, it doesn't have to be that moment where you put your hand up or come to the front. It might just be a very simple journey that you've been on and you've come to realise that moment um, that Jesus is real and you've put your trust in him. And we're filled with his spirit. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Now, Paul doesn't say here that we'll never make a mistake. Okay, he doesn't say that from now on you will never do anything wrong. You're always going to make the right choice. You're always going to make the right decision. You're not going to mess up and there'll be no sin or failure or anything anymore. He doesn't say that because we're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. Even if you look back at this past week and think of the things that have happened, I bet you can make a list okay, of things that where we've made messes up, mess ups. But there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus Christ took that condemnation upon himself for us. He took all of the judgment that we should face when he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took all the condemnation and judgment that we should ever face. And the best example that we have of this is the story that we looked at a few months ago which was the woman caught in the act of adultery. This was a trap. This was a trap for Jesus. Who set this trap? Who set this trap for Jesus? It was the religious leaders. 
How often does that happen? This was the religious leaders that set the trap. So they took this woman and they grab her and they throw her in front of Jesus. They throw her on the ground in front of Jesus. And they say to Jesus, the law says that this woman should be stoned. But what do you say, Jesus? What do you say should happen to this woman? He was hacked off. Jesus was hacked off at this. It really annoyed him that they were trying to trick him. He knew exactly what these religious leaders were doing. He got the measure of them and he turned it around on them and he stooped down and he wrote in the sand. And we don't know what he wrote in the sand, but we know that it was profound. It was something profound because it says that all of those that had been accusing this woman gradually left. It said they left from the oldest to the youngest. An interesting little fact in the Bible there. They left from the oldest to the youngest. They left as Jesus wrote in the sand. And he said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. So they're all gone. And he's alone. Jesus is left alone with this woman. And he says to her, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? And she replies, I have none, Lord. I have none, Lord. They've all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She has a new freedom. Life transformed. Life completely changed. And there may be part of us that feels that might be a little bit unfair. You know, wait a minute. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's hurt people. And yet Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Had she put her faith in Jesus even? Could we say that she knew Jesus and believed in Jesus? Yes, we can. Because she said in that moment, they're all gone, Lord. They're all gone, Lord. She recognized Jesus as her Lord in that moment that she looked into his eyes. And you know what? That lady, she was ready to be stoned. She was preparing herself to die. And in a moment, Jesus changed it all. He transformed it all. And you know what? It takes only a second to put your trust in Jesus. It only takes a moment to put our trust in Jesus. We might not know everything about him. We might not know all the intricacies of different theologies. But if we say yes to Jesus... And say, actually, you know, actually, I do believe that you're there. It only takes a split second. It only takes a split second to put our faith in him. And in that moment, there is no more condemnation. We are free. And he says, go and sin no more. Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the key word. Those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to be in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. I love this. I heard this this week. God sees you for who you are in Christ, not what you were in sin. God sees you for who you are in Christ, not what you were in sin. God doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the mess ups. He sees his son in you. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. What an amazing thing. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, we've all made mistakes. But he says, 
You know, Alan, you're my child. This is my child whom I love. This is my child. You've been forgiven by me. Each one of us, you've been forgiven. I love you. There is no more condemnation. I'm not condemning you anymore. God always sees us for what we can become, not for what we are or what we were. There's a story of a man in the Bible, and it's a lovely story, of a man called Gideon. And uh, Gideon was there, and he was about to, um, in fact, he's hiding from the Midianites. And he's there hiding behind this wall in fear. You know, I can imagine him trembling that the Midianites were coming. And he's there, and he's so afraid. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. And uh, I just love God's sense of humor because he says, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of courage. You know, like, can you imagine? He's there shaking, trembling. It's like, and it's just great. He's hiding behind a wall, hardly a man of courage. Okay, he's in fear and trembling. But God, again, doesn't see us as we are. He doesn't see our failures or our mistakes or, or even the character traits that just make us a bit afraid. God saw Gideon and he saw a mighty man of courage. We see failure, God sees potential. We see the past, God sees the future. If you allow God, he will change everything about your story, everything. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I can't do it anymore, God can change it completely, transform your story completely. He can take a mess and make something beautiful. We need to stop disqualifying ourselves from the full life that God has for us because we believe what the devil is saying over us. We believe those lies that come into our minds. We're not good enough. We've made this. We've messed up again. You know, I was talking to someone this week about how the devil tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can do that thing, do that thing. The second you do it, it's like, oh, can't believe you've done that can't believe you've done that. It's terrible. You know, you're so dirty. You're so unclean. Can't believe it. And when you sit in church, those things come back and you think you're not like the rest of the people here. We're all the same. Every single one of us. We're all sitting there with the same thoughts in our minds. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Let's not disqualify ourselves from the freedom that God wants to give us. The second challenge I think that God wants to bring us this morning is about our lifestyles. It's about our lifestyles and allowing the Holy Spirit to access every single area of our lives. Verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You know, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit conviction in people's lives. You might say, yeah, a friend brought me to church, or someone introduced me to Jesus, but actually it's the Holy Spirit that brings that conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and he seals us, and he fills us. He comes into our lives. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're refreshed by the Holy Spirit. All of these things happen when we come to know Jesus. And hopefully, at some point in your lives, you'll have experienced some of these things that I am talking about. The important wording here that Paul uses is that he says, if the Spirit dwells in you, 
dwells in you. Now, the word dwell means to be at home in you. Is the Holy Spirit at home in your heart and in your life today? I visit a lot of homes, and you know there's a massive difference between homes that I go to. I love going around different homes. And I love those homes that when you walk through the door, you can take off your shoes, you can sit on the sofa, you can curl up, have a cup of tea, and you can chat and you can laugh and you can be with people and you just have great food and listen to good music and you chat and chat and the home's warm and it's a lovely atmosphere and you just, there's something that makes you feel at home. Do you know those type of homes that I mean? Yeah. Okay, well, there's other homes that are not liked so much like that, okay? You know those people who make you take your shoes off at the door? Sorry if you're one of them, you know. Um, but you know these homes where you feel a bit like when you go in, you know? I went round for um, dinner with Martin to someone, and we got welcomed in, and then we sat in the dining room, okay? And uh, they went off into the kitchen to make the meal, okay? And we were, like, sitting there, like, what do we do? Do you know what I mean? They shut the door okay, completely. And we were sat there for about 15 minutes just looking at each other, okay, Um, not knowing what to do. The food was a bit peculiar, okay. The conversation was awkward. And to make it worse, while they were shut in the kitchen, the cat was coughing up fur balls, okay. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to go and get them and call them or do CPR on the cats? I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. But I just couldn't get out there fast enough, you know. And some homes I want to be in and some homes I don't want you know I I, sometimes I don't want to be in and some homes I don't want to leave and the idea here is that is the Holy Spirit at home in your life does he feel comfortable living in your heart and in your life we want to let the Holy Spirit have total rule of our home you know, Martin and I, we've been married nearly for 20 years now. Um, I know, I've done well. And uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is just to let him have his way with artwork in the house, okay? Um, he is highly aesthetic, okay? You might not know this, but he really is. He probably should have done one of those feng shui somethings because he's always like, that doesn't feel right that doesn't feel right. And he goes around and he's like, if it's slightly out of place or something's not quite right, it has to feel right for him to be happy. And it go, it's hard work, I tell you. Pray for me. Um, but he's massively aesthetic. He's away today, so I can say it. Um, and um, I've just learned, let him have his way. Let him have his way. It doesn't really bother me. I can give a little few suggestions, but do I care whether there's a big artwork there or a little one there? No, I don't really. And the same is kind of true of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives, in our home. We can say, God, I kind of think that, and I kind of think this, and I, well, I think that, and I kind of chat to God about it and everything. But then the Holy Spirit says, do this. Okay, do this. And okay, that's what I'm going to do, God. Are we willing to say, okay, that's what I'm going to do? Because I want to live at peace with God in my heart. I want you to dwell in my heart. I want you to be at home in my heart. I want you to be comfortable in my heart. I want you to be comfortable and take residence in my life and enjoy being in my life, Holy Spirit. 